Bullshit. Pretend for a moment we've entered a parallel universe, free of bullshit and full of bold solutions. That's what the No BS Marketing Show is all about. I'm your host, Dave Mastovich. Our guest today is Steve Agnoli, but first, let's cut the bullshit. Business jargon is a part of business. It just happens. We all do it. I guess you could say, quote, it is what it is. I don't have the bandwidth to move the needle, but I do have a hard stop in three minutes, so this robust rant might end without gaining traction because the No BS Marketing Show has a lot of moving parts that we try to synergize in a proactive way without reinventing the wheel. We'll need to get all hands on deck, Steve, to empower the SWAT team so they buy in on the corporate culture and core values tied back to our mission. And you can see I'm doing the air quotes 50 times. In other words, specifically for animal lovers, we need to build a tiger team to get our ducks in a row. Remember to leverage your core competencies to make your vertical scalable and fit your ecosystem. Now, some of my favorites are, let's talk that. I don't even know what the hell that means. And let's solution that while we peel back the onion, break down the silos, and do more with less. I'd like to take it to the next level with this cut the bullshit rant, but listeners will be better off if I take it offline or put it in the parking lot. So the bottom line is we all do it and we all miss opportunities to clearly convey our message with real words, not cliches. Clarity and brevity. Say what you mean. Say it to who needs to hear it. Say it multiple times and cut the bullshit. The OBS Marketing Show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash nobs. Try a book like Modern Romance, an investigation from the hilarious Aziz Ansari. You can download it for free today at audibletrial.com slash nobs. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Our guest today is Steve Agnoli, Chief Information Officer at Reed Smith. He's responsible for firm-wide IT strategy, systems and technology operations, process improvement, and support for growth activities. Companies Steve has served as CIO were recognized as top 100 companies internationally, folks, by CIO Magazine for using IT for positive business transformation. Steve was also named the inaugural Global CIO of the Year by the Pittsburgh Technology Council in 2005. Steve, welcome to the show. Dave, it's a great pleasure to be here. Steve, which of those uh, business jargon terms did you like the best? You know, it's hard to pick one. It's hard to pick one. Um, they're all they're all tremendous. It's it's uh, it's taking it to the next level. <laughs> it it really is. It really is. It really does. Kudos. So, kudos is 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 another one. We're getting them in there. Um, like I said, we try to think outside the box on this show. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Dave, we do have uh, at my place and always have had a no acronym rule. Ooh. In the technology uh, area. So we don't, when we're talking with our customers or our clients, anyone outside of our group, we are not allowed to use acronyms because nobody knows what they they mean. I love that rule. I wish we would have instituted that at UPMC because in healthcare, it's equally bad. Mm-hmm. There's so many HMOs, DRGs, PPOs, all the stuff, and everybody wants to use those. And they use it in a way that if you don't know the term, there's almost a flippancy to it. Right. 
I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of times the the words are just shortened. So you just say, the instead of a WAN, you say the wide area network. People can understand yes. that's what that means. Some of them are kind of technical and you really don't want to get them across. But, you know, all it does is stand in the way of people understanding what you're trying to talk about. And, you know, we're talking about stuff in business terms. It just happens to be technology. It could be accounting. It could be HR stuff. It could be finance. It just happens to be IT. Why wouldn't we try and get that message across just like we would any other business discipline? Exactly. We just solution that. Like, why don't I just say, let's find a solution? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Call me crazy. So, Steve, start by having us hear about your educational background, your career journey. Start all the way from maybe college and what inspired you to get into technology. Sure. Well, I, uh, I started out as a MIS major at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. IUP. And, you know, I actually thought about being a, a computer science major. Well, let's go back. MIS is a term from the 80s and maybe 90s, right? That is. And I probably shouldn't use that acronym, huh? No, no, no. Been, no, uh, I, no uh, I just want to show <laughs> we're, both, we're both seasoned there we veterans. Go. There we go. So there, that's management a good way to say information it. systems. Management information systems, yeah. right? Which was a little more focused on the business use of technology than, let's say, the, the technology itself, which was more computer science. And so um, I thought I had a, a more of a liking for that kind of, of, of thing, and it actually turned out to be the case. But I was an MIS major at IUP and uh, went through that program, came out and started on a technical career path. I uh, started out as what was called a COBOL and a SCOBOL, screen COBOL programmer, and did that for a couple of years. I was uh, pretty much the worst COBOL programmer ever to uh, walk the earth. Um, for a couple of reasons, uh, one I probably wasn't didn't have the capability to do it, but but also I didn't find it very exciting. And so while it was in the technology area, and while it was in my my you know kind of my discipline per se, um, there wasn't a lot of kind of well, what do we do with this stuff? Uh, what's the impact of this stuff? What's the value? So in going through that process, um, I started to realize that you know I think there's more to technology than just the technology itself. How does this stuff make a difference? How do we you know, move the business forward using this as a tool. Um, and so I started that, that thought process. Along that line, you know, continued, worked for a uh, natural gas company and was more kind of in the systems analysis side. And it started to look at, okay, how do we get this technology out there and what do we do with it once it's there? So it kind of started that, fomenting that process there. Uh, along those lines or in around that time, I uh, went back to Duquesne University and got my MBA and that was really a kind of a, a, a watershed moment in that it really started to put together how technology is a tool. There's other tools. There's financial tools. There's other tools. And how can we use this thing from a betterment standpoint of the business? And so after that, moved on, did a couple other things, did some consulting. I was a year 2000 consultant. Uh, maybe I you know, shouldn't say that out loud, but wow. um, Y2K. how about that? How about that? But, you know, one of the good things that came out of Y2K was it really focused business on technology because people were scared. They thought there was going to be a problem. It really turned out that there wasn't. But people looked at their technology and said, How, you know, this stuff is really helping us run our business. We better make sure that it works. We better keep an eye on it. We better look at it, maybe with a little different eyes than, than, than were before. And maybe we need to update some things to get some more value out of this stuff. So I think there was a really a good result of the whole Y2K thing. And it kind of changed the conversation a bit related to technology. After that, um, I, I looked at and uh, 
saw an opportunity in a large law firm. And, uh, you know, at the time it was a regional law firm, had six offices, 390 lawyers on the, uh, on the East coast of the United States. And I, and I remember thinking to myself right before I took that job, I thought 390 lawyers, who would, who in the world would ever need 390 lawyers? That's crazy amount. Uh, when I left that firm, uh, I was, was an international firm, had 1800 lawyers, 37 offices, you know, three continents, seven time zones, et cetera. It was a big, big organization, just like other you know, international corporations, so to speak, but a big process there. But what we did in that that time was we spent a lot of time looking at technology, not just as a thing to keep the trains running, to use a use a, a term there, but to actually make a difference and add value to the relationships that we had with our clients. And so we kind of changed the conversation and we we changed the way people internally and externally looked at what a law firm could do for them not just from a legal perspective, but from a, from a value add, technology value add perspective. Uh, and it kind of changed, it changed things. Um, we found that our clients were more welded into us because not only did they have the legal stuff, but they had the technology tools and the technology components and the data that they may not have gotten in other areas. So it was a very, very good, good opportunity and very, very good uh, situation. Worked there for a long time. Law firms have a very, very high level of client service. They just do. They have to. And, um, you know, you kind of get used to that. So I was in that, that uh, area for a while, uh, 13 years. And then I thought, you know, maybe it's time to look outside of that industry. Uh, and so I moved on, did some work, ran a small managed services company that focused on smaller businesses in the legal space and in other spaces uh, and tried to look at kind of an outsourcing model. Uh, I spent some time at Mylan Pharmaceuticals heading up their global IT transformation function. And there we were looking at what do we need to do uh, from an IT perspective to align ourselves with where the business is headed and support that business and help it grow and move forward. So the transformational thought there, you know, not just um, doing things differently, but doing different things. How do we make those changes and how do we line that up? So I spent, you know, about five years or so in that in that area. But, you know, I kind of always liked the legal space. You get used to, again, that high level of service, that focus on clients uh, and doing things well and doing them well the first time. And uh, so the opportunity with Reed Smith came up uh, and, uh, and I, you know, kind of jumped on that. And um, we've been doing real well and we're kind of, you know, we're doing, doing similar things. And that is to take the capability, make sure that we're, we're very solid in what we do day to day but also ensure that we have the capability to look outside our four walls and provide technology value directly to our clients or through our lawyers to our clients. And again, change the conversation about what we do. So that's kind of a So let's run go through back there. to after the Y2K consulting, you decide to enter the legal field, the lawyers, law firms. And what was the first firm you went with? You it was Kano Gates. Okay. It was called Kirkpatrick and Lockhart at the time. Okay, and you were there a long, pretty long time. 13 years, 13 yeah. Years at that firm. Long time. What was the transition like for you at that first year moving into the law firm aspect? How, how was it different than, you talked a lot about client services. What was the biggest difference you saw, say, the first 100 days, to use a political term? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I think that the the focus on ensuring that everything along if you want to call it the value chain or just even the the service delivery had to work very very well and had to work 
to meet or exceed expectations. Because, you know, at the end of the day, people aren't going to spend a, a lot of money on a lawyer if they can't pick up their phone, if they don't answer their email, if they don't have the, you know, the, the highest level of responsiveness and service. And I think that was the biggest thing that I saw. It was, it's much different than let's call it a traditional corporate environment. And, you know, so you had to be on your game 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It didn't stop. And that's not a bad thing. It actually, you know, it, it kind of rises all boats um, there. You know, you have to do things well everywhere. It's not okay to say, yeah, we'll get to that later or we'll, we'll figure that out some other time. You know, you're kind of always on. And I always thought that it's best to have the spotlight shining on you because when you do well, people notice. If the spotlight's on, not on you, you do well, nobody knows. So, you know, if you assume you're going to do well, you assume you're going to move forward, you're going to, you know, have good people and, and help them get better. Uh, make a difference in the business. Let's have the light shining on you. And I think IT in large law firms has that. Then you make a move to Milan after 13 years getting comfortable and knowing the law firm aspect and the culture of one firm, but also the entire industry. You make a leap. That had to be uh, interesting and challenging. And friends and family might have said, what's he doing? It was, um, no, it was, it was actually a very good experience there because, you know, from, from both sides, I was able to see the things that we were doing, not only within IT, within the law firm, but also the impact on our clients. And our clients in the law firm were big corporations. So, you know, how could we interact there? But also seeing how the corporate side, things that they did corporately that maybe we didn't do in the law firm area. And how can those two things go together? And I think as, as one of the benefits that I'm seeing now is in, in Reed Smith is I'm able to take those two things, kind of the, the big law firm side, the corporate IT side, and kind of you know pick and choose and figure what's the best mix of those two types of approaches to come out with. But you know, Mylan is a very, very um, moving forward organization. Things happen very quickly there. Uh, and we were looking at what do we need to do to transform our organization to be able to keep up with that business. And the pharmaceutical business is it's a tough business. It has a pace similar to law firms, very quick. Things don't sit around. Um, so what do you do? You know, what can we do from an IT perspective to make sure that we're keeping in line with that? And um, so it was a great experience there. And you, there's also a component um, that I think I learned while there of the messaging of IT. What do we need to do to be able to prove value and show value and then provide value? And how do you talk about that? You know, you talk about the elevator speeches and all that kind of stuff, but you need stuff behind that. But, you know, providing a good message was a very key point of that. And again, you know, kind of taking that now and, and applying some of that to, to the Reed Smith environment. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask just your opinion. Um, there had to be a lot of stress at Milan when the EpiPen, EpiPen, controversy hit nationwide from a messaging standpoint? Uh, I'm sure there was. I I'm, wasn't there then. So um, I can't say from exact experience, but I'm sure they're, you know, I'm sure that's, that's keeping them busy. I'll, I'll bet it's, uh, it's been a challenge for them. So then you come back and you are come back to the legal aspect, law firm aspect with uh, Reed Smith and uh, talk about where you are with that today and what's your, what's your vision for the IT portion for the next year or two or three. Sure, sure. Well, you know, the law firm industry is changing. And um, to be honest, people have been saying that for a long time. 
but I think it really is changing. And that's because our clients are putting more and more pressure on us to provide value. And so the old legal models of delivering service uh, in a billable hour, those kind of things are changing. Our clients are looking for what can you do from a value perspective? What are you adding to, to what I need to do and get done? And you know, technology is a big component of helping us respond to these changes in this marketplace. So it's not enough to just keep the trains running. Um, probably never was, but it's really not enough now. Um, so there, we have a very strong focus on what do we do from a value add standpoint internally and externally with technology. There's also changes in the industry related to things like artificial intelligence and applying knowledge management to situations that allow us to use the data that we have, either our client data or data we have about our clients in different ways to be more efficient, more effective, and again, have that value component. So, you know, we look at IT as a way to help us move into the next phase of the industry. Without it, it's going to be very difficult. So you have to have a good capability, certainly, but you also have to have that value component added to it. And, you know, Without that, I think the industry is going to be very it, – it will be very difficult for law firms that don't have a, a good capability on the IT side as they move forward because the industry's changed so much. That's Steve Agnoli. I'm Dave Mastovich, and you're listening to the No BS Marketing Show brought to you by Mass Solutions, a marketing firm focused on bold solutions, no BS. Steve, other than family, who are your mentors how have they impacted you? You know, I've had a couple uh, a couple really good bosses over the years, one named Steve and one named Mike. And, you know, what I try and do is when I get into a situation or, thing, or something along those lines, I think to myself, what would Steve or Mike do? Um, they provided a nice model on how to not only just do the job, so to speak, but how to build relationships, how to have a very, very strong client focus. And how to make sure you get stuff done. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's about. You know, the, these are guys, for example, that, um, you know, they would have a conversation with someone um, who was being let go. And at the end of the conversation, that, that person would thank them. I mean, how often does that help? Uh, does that happen? It's really because they had relationships with these people. They made sure that as part of what they did, they built a strong relationship with their employees. And I think, you know, you can move mountains whenever that's the case. You hire good people, let them do what they need to do and get the job done. Um, these guys knew how to do that. So, you know, I, I, I refer back to the lessons that they um, taught as well as just kind of how they conducted themselves. Were they, both, the industry. were they both really early in your career? Uh, one was early and one not so much. Okay. And you, yeah. have you, did you stay in touch with them even after you left that company? I did. I just had uh, dinner with uh, Mike not too long ago. He's back in town and, uh, you know, he was making, making friends with the people at the restaurant. I mean, the guy just knows how to do that and he's very sincere about it. Um, and it's, it's to his benefit, but it's also to those around him's benefit. And I think that's part of the deal here from a leadership standpoint, uh, you need to know who you're working with, what you're working for, uh, you know, how those individuals can help and how you can help them. And I think these guys really modeled that behavior. Mentors matter so much and it has to be an organic situation. You know, sometimes people set out to find a mentor. That's probably not the best way. And even when mentors say, I'm going to mentor someone, it probably works best when it kind of happens organically. I think that's right. And we have to look at mentors at different parts of our life for different things. The, the mentors that I've had are still part of my life, but they were for different aspects. Uh, some were for 
overall business development. Some were for a very technical, specific teaching, and others were giving me a global perspective. But they each bring something that I still fall back on, as you said, and I stay in touch with them all. Ran into one of them the other night unexpectedly over in Market Square by the uh, Christmas tree. I'm like, what are you doing here? (laughs) So cool stuff. That's great. Talk about a learning experience when maybe you were a BS employee, a tough boss, or your communication wasn't what it needed to be. Looking back, when do you think you might have been guilty of some BS? What did you learn that might help our listeners? Yeah, two things come to mind there. Um, The first one is situations early in my career where I was talking about somebody behind their back, and I shouldn't have done that. And I got caught, and I got called out on it, and it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. Uh, And I learned, A, never to do that, not because I got caught, but because it's not the right thing to do. And it, 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 it just did not add anything to anything. All it did was it was hurtful and it didn't do, do, it didn't advance the ball. And I, you know, I think it was out of character, but you, sometimes you get caught up in things. So that was a very powerful lesson for me. Um, not just from a business standpoint, but also from a life standpoint. Um, you know, you, you need to treat people with respect all the time and make sure that's part of what you do. Um, and so, you know, it was, it was good. And looking back, it was good. It was a shame it happened. But, and I think that might have informed maybe the, the second instance, which was a situation where I um, uh, disagreed with the direction that a, a certain um, company uh, we were headed in. And, you know, I stuck to my guns and said, this is not right and here's why, and did not follow along with that direction. And, you know, took some pretty severe uh, career and and even personal hits because of that. Uh, and as I reflect back on that, I wouldn't change one thing. It was the exact right thing to do. It, given the circumstance and the situation, uh, sometimes you have to stand up for what is the right thing to do, not the easy thing to do or the popular thing. And uh, in this particular case, even though it had some some baggage, or so to speak, that came along with it. It was absolutely the right thing to do. So it really reinforced to me that you need to do what's right and you need to do what's right all the time, regardless of the consequence. Uh, and it was a real, uh, you know, it was a good lesson or a good reminder of that and uh, something I reflect back on all the time. I can relate to both of those. The first one, I think, is something that I'm guessing just about everyone ends up being guilty of and getting caught at some point, that's part of maturity. I don't know that, I think it's kind of part of the human condition to when you're frustrated, vent and maybe talk about people and situations and not do it in the manner that is uh, professional and, and not even be transparent and tell the person. Because I think it's it's almost okay if you're over here venting, but then you go and sit down and talk with the person and say, this is what frustrated me and so forth. But we've all kind of been where you were, where you mishandled it and you feel really really silly. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you're remembering it decades later. Absolutely. Now, the second one I really like a lot because it puts you in a situation where the BS that was going on there was probably by the company because they were doing something you were ethically and morally opposed to and you stuck to your guns. So that's something that's important to any of the younger listeners because I often tell the guests, you know, we have a lot of college grads or college students listening. Then we have mid-level professionals. Then we have entrepreneurs, and then we have C-suite people. Mm. And when you look at the person in that mid-level position that's maybe looking to make it to the next level or a college student or an entry-level first couple-year person, that's important to hear 
So how do you stick to your guns and not just end up getting scarred like you and I did? Mm -hmm. That's the question. That is a question. And, and, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that, Dave, to be honest with you. But what I do know, at least from my experience is, you know, you know the right thing to do and you need to stay with that. Uh, and then if there are consequences, then you deal with the consequences. So now with, uh, Reed Smith, talk a little bit about your team there and how you lead them and how you communicate with them. How big is the team? What's your most effective form of communication? What's something you think you want to improve upon? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, you know, we have a global team of IT professionals in across our offices. There's really kind of two, two flavors to that. We have uh, what we call our firm-wide function, and then we have people within each one of our offices. And all of us are on the same team, just our functions might be a little bit different. Um, we have about 150 folks in our IT group across the firm. And, you know, we all have, we have one strategic plan. We have, you know, one kind of uh, approach to doing things, both technically as well as procedurally. Um, so we're all kind of, you know, using the same playbook. There's no kind of breakaway republics or anything like that. Um, so there's consistent management across that, that function. And, you know, we do, we do several things from a communications front. First, uh, beginning of the year, we go through and have meetings with all of our employees to share our strategic plan, um, what we're doing, what's on the plate, what needs to get done and when. We have quarterly updates to all of that. We have, of course, regular just kind of communications, the, the uh, ad hoc type stuff. Uh, our managers meet with their people on a regular basis, be it weekly, biweekly, et cetera. Um, so we try to make sure that people know what's going on and we're very communicative, not just across, but up and down. And, uh, you know, I think we have a really, really strong team. We are able to do a lot of stuff because our people are really good at what they do. You know, our approach is such that we try and give people the tools that they need to get their job done and let them do it, um, guide them, uh, help them. Um, but you know, our job is to, when I look at our managers and our senior managers, I look at, at, you know, what do we need to do to, to give our, our, our teams the best shot at, you know, doing well and having a good career at, at Reed Smith. And that's what we focus on. And frankly, they do the heavy lifting and get the jobs done. Um, and so we're very fortunate in that regard. Hear more of my interview with Steve Agnoli on part two of the No BS Marketing Show.